0: From Casa de Esperanza's National Latino Network, I'm Marisa Kurtz, and this is Conversations Over Cafecito. In celebration of Mother's Day, we've invited members of our staff and network to reflect on their experiences, having or being a mother and or a mother figure, and how that has impacted their work supporting women and girls. This week, we bring you a collection of stories Focusing on motherhood, the good, the challenging, and those that fall in between. People will share moments of struggle, sadness, joy, and hope, which some may find difficult to hear. From wherever you're listening, thank you for tuning in to Conversations Over Cafecito. When Paula gomez Sorti was five years old, her mother sent her to live with her grandmother in Chile. Paula reflects on this experience. Understanding, as a mother now herself, how the decision was driven by love, and how this has guided the way she parents her own children. In my years of
1: working in the domestic violence field, I have heard so much judgment directed towards mothers. Why does she stay? How can she do this to her children? Her kids should be taken away. And I've heard the judgment of immigrant mothers when mothers decide to send their children to their country of origin or, or have left children behind to be taken care of by relatives in the country of origin. Their love, bond, and even values are questioned. How could a mother leave her children? For immigrant mothers, there are many reasons as to why. When I was five, I was sent to live in Chile. After my parents' separation, I briefly lived with my mother in Boston. Shortly after, my mother sent me on a plane to Chile by myself, but under the supervision of a flight attendant. I only remember quick snapshots of my arrival. It felt like a spring day and I remember there were flowers blooming in my aunt's garden but I don't remember anything else. I lived in Chile with my abuelita Ines. That's my maternal grandmother. My two older cousins interchangeably called her la mamá Ines because she took care of them while their parents were in Boston for almost two years to work, save money, and then return home to invest in a house and business. I spent time with my cousins as well as my paternal grandparents, cousins, aunts, and uncles. My extended family was and still is my immediate family. I always felt loved by my family. And yet, there was a deep void of not having my mother. And I always felt this pure and unconditional love from my abuelita Inés. She would always talk about my mother to try to keep that bond alive and that memory of her alive. She would refer to my mother as La Mamá Aida, Aida is my mother's name, and she would show me pictures of her and share stories about her. In school, we created Mother's Day art projects, and I ended up giving them to my abuelita Inés, who then in turn saved them for my mother. I remember feeling sad and somewhat confused that it wasn't clear to whom I should give my present. I was eight years old the next time I saw my mother, and again, I just have snapshots of memories from that day. I remember me and my maternal family went to the airport to pick her up. And at the airport, I saw my father also arrive in Chile on the same flight. I always thought that was a coincidence. They were separated, yet they just happened to be on the same flight to Chile. I realized my parental family wasn't there to welcome my dad. And I felt confused and a little sad. So I hugged him and then I left with my maternal family. It wasn't until I was in my 20s when I realized that that arrival and the same flight to Chile was not a coincidence. They had both been deported because they were living in the U.S. with an expired visitor visa. That also explained what was unexplainable at eight years old. Why would they then leave me again and go back to the U.S.? What seemed incomprehensible at the time makes total sense to me now as an adult. Both my parents received their residency visa after waiting in Chile and working with attorneys. And although it was difficult to leave Chile, they had an opportunity to return to the US and pursue financial security. And I stayed behind with my abuelita Ines. When I was nine, I reunited with my parents and returned to Boston. I experienced such culture shock coming from the summer of Chile to the cold of Boston in mid-December. Initially, it seemed novel and interesting, learning so many new things. But after realizing that this would be my permanent home, I began to long for Chile and everything I left behind. I had forgotten my English and felt such impotency when I couldn't communicate or I couldn't understand what I assumed was a funny punchline of a movie because I saw everyone laughing. Eventually, I learned English with the assistance of my English tutor, Sister Eleanor from Blessed Sacrament School in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And at the end of most school years, my mother would send me back to Chile during summer vacations to be looked after my grandmother and my family. I looked forward to these Boston summers and Chile winters because I had established friendships in both countries, and as a teenager. In the eighties in Chile, I also experienced the constant undertones of political unrest that impacted my family and the community in Chile. The fear of militia was palpable. Curfews, military surveillance, and stories of loved ones gone missing, tortured, and killed certainly impacted me and motivated me to work towards social justice. And in college, I continued to fly to Chile. After college, despite my immigrant mother's disappointment that I didn't follow a more glamorous career path, I accepted a job offer as a victim witness advocate supporting victims of crime in the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. If children had to be present in the court as a victim or witness, I made sure that they had a tour of the courthouse before they attended their court hearing. And I introduced them to court personnel with a little description of their role in the court. I printed these coloring sheets, explaining the court process, and made sure that their parents were informed of the court process, resources, and their rights so that they could be their child's best supporter. I spent years working with children and adult survivors, and eventually I worked as a director of a domestic violence shelter. Going to work each day, I saw children arrive at the shelter traumatized, toddlers unable to speak, School-aged children wetting their beds and children of all ages experienced separation anxiety and even terror when they separated from their mothers while their mothers attended house meetings or support groups. Some teenagers were angry and combative while others were over-accommodating and parentified. Looking back, I realized that my rushes of adrenaline and feelings of complete exhaustion were physical embodiments of my vicarious trauma and memories of my own trauma and loss. Through this work, I've learned many lessons. And as I saw the signs of children and families healing at the shelter, a part of me also began to heal as well through vicarious growth and vicarious resilience. I waited until I was 32 years old to be a mother in hopes of having all the tools necessary to be the best mother I could be to my children. I became pregnant while I was a shelter director. I remember feeling joy when I received these art projects from the children living at the shelter, celebrating the early arrival of my premature baby. I am sure I've made mistakes as a parent. My mother is a loving grandmother. We now all live in Boston, and she has watched me raise my children. One day she said to me, "'Watching you, parent, teaches me to grow as a parent.'" I'm sure my own children will continue to teach me as well. I've worried, even suffered, over my children's well-being through all their fevers and their disappointments, sports injuries, or driving with a new driver's license. I've instilled in them the importance of family and culture. We have visited Chile many times so that they could have their own experiences of Chile and their own experiences of my family as I did as a child. They have cousins their own age and are creating new memories. And so my job of mothering will continue as long as I'm alive. And unfortunately, that also includes compassionately letting go of my children so that they can become adults and make their
0: own mark in this world. Bella currently serves as Casa de Esperanza's Senior Director of Training and Technical Assistance for the National Latino Network. She continues to advocate for immigrant families and survivors of gender-based violence. Thank you, Paula, for sharing your story today. This has been another episode of Conversations Over Cafecito, brought to you by the National Latino Network for Healthy Families and Communities, a project of Casa de Esperanza that builds bridges and connections among research, practice, and policy to advance effective responses to eliminate domestic violence and promote healthy relationships within Latino families and communities. For more information, visit NationalLatinoNetwork.org. This program was produced by the staff at Casa de Esperanza's National Latino Network and with music composed by Joey Horton. I'm Marisa Kurtz. Thank you for listening. Hasta la próxima.